Well, I worked the double shift in a bookstore on St. Clair, where he pushed the burning in guts into Fasco's stinking air, where the truth bites and stings. I remember just what we were as the noon bell rings for Black Hawk and the White Winged Dove. <laughs> That was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> My husband is the singer. I am not. That was awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. That was great. Oh, lovely. Welcome to the show, Rhoda. Thank you. And welcome back, Ivan. Thank you, it's man. not too long ago since you were here, but... A couple months. Yeah, a couple of months. Yeah. But time goes by fast, I guess, over the holiday break. Sure does. So it's good to have both you guys in here. I want to continue this conversation that we had with you and dive deeper into a bunch of other things that we want to talk about. But basically, I think it's, uh, it's going to be like the real green show today. Okay. That's what I want to do. The real green show. All right. While we're in a box. But <laughs> I was telling Ivan just before we got in here, it'd be nice to start doing shows outside. <gasps> oh, yeah. In nature. I've done a few on audio, which have been good. And I think I like it. I like doing that. So maybe when the warmer months come along, maybe set it up outside or something. But I think Safe Tree HQ would be a good place. Yeah, that would be actually a great. You were describing it. And I was like, that sounds picturesque for me, man. Perfect. Yeah. yeah Vineland Research has got a really good. Yeah, we got a nice camera too. Yeah. yeah. Hang out under the cherry blossoms, just gorgeous. Or the wingnut. Wing <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, guys. Let me share the information here. So it's www.vinelandresearch.com. And on IG, it's Vineland Research. And the email is info at Vineland Research, right? And what's your official title, Rhoda? I'm the director of the plant responses and environment team. Okay. And then we have Ivan back from SafeTree. So it's safetree.ca. Yep. Uh, and it's on IG as under SafeTree LTD. And then the email there as well. Sorry, it's under Ivan at SafeTree. Uh, the trying. email yeah. is just uh, info or at safetree.ca. Yeah. .ca, right? Yep. And then any phone numbers we want to share or no? No, we're good. Email. Stay digital. It's so much easier. We're going to, let me do a quick shout out. I'm wearing Doll's t-shirt today. Unleash your voice on the Construction Life podcast community. Are you passionate about the world of construction, trades, and all things building related? The Construction Life podcast wants to hear from you. Leave us a review. Share your thoughts, insights, and experiences on your favorite podcast channel. Your review fuels our mission to create engaging and informative content for the construction community. Your feedback is a mortar that holds our podcast together. So share your thoughts, rate us, and let the construction community know why the Construction Life is your go-to podcast. Visit our website and check out the over 400 tradespeople and construction professionals listed on our site. Check out www.theconstructionlife.com for additional content, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and valuable resources. Dive deeper into the construction world with articles, guest profiles, and more. Follow us on social at TCL underscore The Construction Life. Subscribe to our video channels on YouTube and Rumble. Check out our link tree and find exclusive discounts for listeners. The link is in the IG bio. Join the conversation on Facebook, the Construction Life community. So uh, that's all I wanted to do. That was a bit the extent of it. I want to start the show by starting with um, how do we get more green in concrete? Is that a possibility? <laughs> Certainly. Well, okay. I, I, I don't know if we brought, I'm trying to think of the stuff that we did bring up or didn't bring up. And I think the smartest move that New York ever did was keep Central Park. But it's the worst move now because <laughs> it's just being perimetry confined by only wealthy people so they're only allowed to see this beautiful greenery right but i think that toronto and other cities don't didn't take note of that i can't i mean i know chicago has this millennial park a millennium park yep um i'm trying to think of other big cities that have 
big green space. Toronto, we got High Park. We have a High Park, but it's yeah. a little bit in the west and yep. it's kind of pushed away. Yep. Uh, it's a good chunk of land there. Um, but I mean, I, how do we get more green in the in the concrete is what I'm trying to figure out. Where do we begin? How do we get started doing that? Or are our politicians actually doing anything like that yep. for us? Yeah. You guys would know better? Well, some of it is not like a, a, a want sort of thing. I think a lot of people would agree that they want more green in an urban environment, but it's more like the how. They just don't know how to do it. And so that's where you turn to the research, as nerdy as it sounds. Um, and we actually do a lot of work on this, figuring out how you can actually get a tree to survive in a hardscape area. Because it's difficult. It's very difficult when yep. I keep seeing, uh, seeing cities take down dead trees and then plant a new tree and yep. then take that dead tree again in five years and then put a new tree and it's almost like a constant cycle you're either taking out the trash or you're taking out the tree yep which makes no sense to me at that point how about we make the tree hardy enough to survive so i've always preferred larger trees right yeah i like standing next to trees and, and being near trees and i don't like seeing little small trees with nope. braces on them every year yeah so that's what I'm trying to figure out is how do we, I guess it's just a mindset. We need to get the communities on board, people on board. I would say absolutely. Creating more green spaces is difficult, but it's still possible. When, when I drive down uh, places like Welland, for instance, where we are, yeah. there's a lot of industrial areas with wasted space. There's not a lot of places to put trees right downtown for obvious reasons, but there's a lot of areas around downtown that do provide spaces that we could turn into green spaces. And I think it's important to recognize that, I think it was, it was just in an article I read yesterday, there was, there was an article released in 2022 about, uh, I think it was Dr. Nadina Gale. Mm -hmm. Did you just get that email? No. There was a research done, and it, it said that 120 minutes a week significantly changed somebody's um, mental state. I believe and it, it. Wasn't, and it wasn't just 120 minutes at a time. It could be spread out. Oh, being within trees and within seeing greenscapes. Within trees and, and nature. For sure. So... Providing these spaces and, and utilizing these spaces could benefit the community if the municipalities jumped on board and, and, and funded some of these projects. Yeah, I think that really speaks to the prioritization of green spaces because everybody can say, yeah, you know, trees are great, green spaces are great, but there's a lot of competition for space in a downtown urban core. And so if you're competing against you know, safety needs in, in terms of like the size and the width of your, your sidewalks, you're competing with parking lot needs, you're competing with development interests because you gotta get you know, the, the funding to actually run your city, you have to be able to prioritize trees and, and, and make it um, something that you plan for ahead of time before you're putting in the parking lots and the sidewalks and the new development uh, as you're building up in your, in your urban areas. So in today's day, I guess with the urban areas, it seems like the tree's the last thought. Yes, on the planning it's an process. afterthought. Yep. Absolutely. But it's weird. It's like I, I just I bring up New York to begin with, and the last time I was in New York, as soon as I got to the hotel, I made a beeline, dropped the bags, went right to Central Park. Oh, awesome! 
right? Because, you know, we want to spend time there. Yep. And it just made more sense because I already knew the amount of time I was going to be in a concrete area. For sure. But I just wanted to get that environment there. But also they have smaller parks, so you get that environment. And I totally believe what you're saying about that time. If you're near that, you're going to experience a different mental state because of it. Yeah. Well, I was just at a conference about a month ago. It's the World Forum for Urban Forests. And so it was folks from all across the world. So it was like mayors in India and urban planners from Singapore and folks from South Africa. And they were all talking about their urban challenges and how they perceive urban forests. And it was really interesting because throughout the conference, there was this repeating theme of seeing forests as public health and that it was a key aspect of (laughs) public health. And when you phrase it as public health, all of a sudden it's that much more easy to invest in because you're like, okay, well, if we want to like reduce stress, we want to reduce heart disease, we want to reduce like particulate matter in the air, we want to improve air quality. Trees, 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 trees. Is there a argument? I don't think there is, but you guys tell me if you take care of trees and you let them grow and you nourish them that they get so large that they eventually might become a problem where there's a risk now that it could fall or whatever be damaged in a storm and then create some sort of an accident in an urban environment is that a case there that would be a lovely problem to have i think (laughs) it's one that we don't have (laughs) yeah and and i would i would challenge that as it would be just as dangerous walking down the street with traffic right jaywalking yeah yeah simple as that right i i would say being around vehicles and people texting while they're driving would be significantly more dangerous than a mature tree. Yeah. And a lot of mature trees can be managed as well. We do a lot of cabling and bracing. Um, that's probably 20, 25% of our work is just cabling and bracing trees to be able to withstand wind loads, especially now with, with the temperature changes and the higher winds we're getting. Yeah, if you have enough Ivans around, you don't have to worry about those big trees. Well, we got a clone. That's the thing about yeah. it. He's the one that I do know, and yeah. then I'm sure that I'm going to no, start No, there's a lot more. of other great folks out there. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys like me that when you cringe when you're in the city and you start seeing buses or big transport trucks driving through certain streets and you see them just scraping along the tree line and seeing the branches and you, you'll see a few leaves or even a branch get ripped off, that yeah. kind of thing, because it's just they need to make space for modern day conveniences. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they had somebody in there properly pruning that tree, it wouldn't be an issue. But now that that branch is getting ripped off, it's like an invitation for a disease and, uh, you know, some sort of <clears throat> fungal infection to get yeah, in there. And I'm going with that because I start seeing when they start doing sometimes in neighborhoods, you get the, the Toronto Hydro guys. And I'm not going to point a finger at them, but they'll prune trees that are convenient for the cable. Yeah. But they're killing the tree in the future. That's what's going to happen when you start seeing certain limbs being cut right off yep. just to accommodate cables. Yeah. Well, I often try to picture a city street. What would it look like if you didn't have power oh, lines? I've seen these photos in other yeah. cities, right? Where yeah, it's like these look, trees look beautiful. They look amazing. And yeah. there's only certain neighborhoods now in Toronto that have canopy trees. Yep. Like they're literally crossing from one sidewalk to the other and yeah. they're covering the entire roadway, yeah. which I'm sure it's a huge selling feature. Yep. So we're actually taking money out of the community by not taking care of these trees, right? Absolutely. Is there an argument regarding the carbon monoxide, like congestion from the vehicles? Is it damaging the plant life? I would say... Does um, it? I don't know. 
a better way to sort of look at that problem is how much of that carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, fine particulate matter from diesel, how much of that is the tree able to to take out of the yeah, environment? The filter. Yeah. Because yeah. that's exactly the purpose of the tree, right? Yep. And there's some great examples out there of planting uh, almost like a fence of trees where you're planting them densely as opposed to like our little single tree plantings here and there. You plant them together in almost like a little congested wall and they are filtering out whatever's coming from a highway. So if you have a low-income neighborhood on the other side of that barrier, all of a sudden you're reducing the amount of not only just like sound, but also all that air pollution, particulate matter that would get to them. They are, they are an essential piece of infrastructure, not just public health. And so when you see them as um, all of the ways that they can benefit us so that we don't have to spend all of that money um, on uh, like stormwater infrastructure, for example, uh, trees can do a lot of that work for us. And they yeah. get better with age as opposed to getting poorer with age. absorb a lot. Yeah. Just, just if, we, if we had better soil conditions alone, we would spend less money on stormwater you bet so how do we start all this process like how do we i still remember i don't think that tree's there anymore on the gardener where the canopy was higher than the gardener but i don't think it's there anymore because i think they removed it now but that was actually a nice sight to see when you're driving on the gardener coming into the core and you're seeing the top of the tree and i'm like that's how tall the tree is at that point but it's not there anymore but if you were to line that gardener with trees yeah along the It'd lake be amazing oh, yeah absolutely and you think like why can't they grow trees there? Like there's a ton of airspace. There is a ton of soil volume. What's happening? And a lot of it has to do with the salt, salt spray, and also the compaction of that soil. So when those roads are created, you have a lot of heavy equipment running through. You have them scraping, removing the soil, like you talked about in your last yeah. podcast. And um, all of a sudden you plant a tree in there. And even though you might have, you know, tons of space for that tree to grow, you can't actually access it because the soil is too compacted. So we did a project at Vineland uh, now, actually over a decade ago now, where we worked uh, with the folks on the Highway for Heroes. So all those trees that are planted for, for veterans, and they wanted to increase the survivorship of these trees because they're planting them along very visible highway corridor. They're very special trees honoring very important people. Yeah. And the trees were similar to like the ones in our boulevards where they're not doing great. And so uh, we had set up a trial looking at um, how much benefit you could get from just doing a deep rip along that corridor. Because you don't have to worry about locates there, right? There's not going to no, be... No, uh, there. No, there might be a gas line at some point in time, but you're going to know where it is. But the soil that was brought in or the earth that was brought in, what was the condition of it? Garbage. It was all garbage. Garbage. It was probably just it's all garbage. fill. Yeah. Yeah. And the organic matter, and it's way too low. Like they could have used a great mulch job from Safe Tree. <laughs> <laughs> but even just doing a deep rip, decompacting that soil, adding a bit of organic matter, all of a sudden you're giving that soil the ingredients it needs to heal itself. And previously, you know, that soil was sitting there for decades. So you think, oh, okay, well, maybe it can restore itself but it didn't have the ingredients it needed. And so it didn't really change much. But if you can go through, decompact the soil, add a bit of organic matter before you plant the trees, all of a sudden your survivorship just increases. Can you guys tell me what, um, what's that green spray stuff that goes on brand new highways that are laid and they're spraying onto this, the embankments? What is that? Oh, hydro seeding? I don't know what it is. I just see a truck with a big tank and a huge nozzle, and they're just spraying this green stuff all over the 
Yeah, I believe that's hydro seeding. They're just planting grass. Yeah. That's all it is, right? Yeah. So it's completely organic? Like, is it, or is I don't know all the components, but there's usually sure. like um, some sort of uh, binder to prevent all of the seeds from just washing away in the first rain. Wouldn't it make more moisture. sense to actually just make that earth a lot better of a condition and then just plant that with trees? Like you could, for sure. Or wildflower. Or wildflowers. Yeah. Or even um, some of our native grasses. So a lot of this area, um, you know, as part of the Carolinian forest, used to have more oak savanna. So if you've ever been to, like, Pinery Provincial Park, you can kind of still see it there, mm-hmm. where there's a lot more space between the trees, and then there's the really tall grass. Those grasses have roots that go down incredibly far and when you have them going down so far they're almost working for you in terms of nutrients going on there right yeah yeah and storing carbon down in the soil which we haven't even gotten into yet and also helping to decompact so sometimes it's it's the type of grass that you're planting that's going to have an impact and if we're talking from construction standpoint bank retention too yeah yeah oh for sure the roots hold these banks together yeah a lot of them no erosion going on nothing at all yeah and that's why you'll see a lot of uh along the side of the highway they plant sumac Mm -hmm. sumac's really good for for bank retention it doesn't really get too high Techno metal post screw piles are installed by our trained certified professionals using specially designed hydraulic machines. The piles are augered in until they reach a specified torque and depth, allowing our installers to determine the load bearing capacity for the structure. Helical pile foundations are made from hollow structural steel HHS that is compliant with ASTM A500 grade C. They are designed, tested, fabricated, and installed in compliance with Canadian, European, and U.S. building codes. When compared to bolted coupling and similar products, TMP's fully welded couplings ranked above the others and provided maximum strength, rigidity, and enhanced buckling resistance. Different shaft and helical blade sizes are available to accommodate the needs of structure support and site soil conditions. Our engineering department provides assistance to determine the appropriate sizes for specified project types. Reach out to them at www.technometalpost.com for your next project. So who's actually doing a really good job urban-wise, city-wise in the entire world? What's, what countries, cities are Singapore. actually? Singapore. Singapore, yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> they're interesting because they have such a manufactured landscape, and so they have to plan for it, right? We have the benefit of having some really nice remnant woodlots, you know, throughout the area. And so we kind of have that crutch of our history to rely on, uh, where our woodlots are absorbing stormwater. They're giving us oxygen. They're doing all those great things that trees do. Whereas Singapore, they had to plant it from scratch, and so that's why they invest in it. And so if we had that same mindset, yeah. I mean, we could we could do something similar. And they're doing an amazing job at it too. Well, there it looks like it's a balance of urban and, and, and greenery, right? Like they're they're doing both, right? They're not so there's one. there's a lot of studies on that. And I was just reading about this. We're 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 using this strategy um, in our municipalities in Niagara of a percentage of foliage or or canopy cover in the municipalities and i believe it was something wrote you might know it was something between 30 or 40 percent uh coverage is a sustainable forest so the town i live in pelham they actually did a really good job a, a lot of it's just from from the history and, and having short hills there but they have like a 30 percent canopy cover and they're going for 40 percent so some of the municipalities are are really active and really trying to push for this 
but there's a lot that are still in the past and and thinking that trees are, are a safety issue and, and cutting them down. Is it a cost thing, guys? In part. There's very little other infrastructure in a city that doesn't get a lot of provincial or federal dollars. Like, think about what just happened with the Gardener, where Toronto said, you know what, we can't manage this highway anymore. Province, can you take over this key piece yeah. of infrastructure for us? We don't have the same for our trees. And so if, if you want every single one of these municipalities to develop an urban forest management plan, an urban forest strategy, they don't have the funding to do that. They can only often do the bare minimum in terms of providing safety for their residents. And so adding that other layer of proactive management and proactive planning of these trees can be really difficult if you don't have the funds to support it. I think a lot of it, too, is what people are asking for. True. What people are calling their local MPs about. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> and if we have more people wanting greener spaces, then the politicians are going to start pushing for that, too. But it's the argument that you brought up last time when you were here about you plan something now, my kids might benefit from it. I'm delayed gratification. Benefit. Delayed gratification, right? Humans suck at it. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at our city line. That's technically delayed gratification. The way the, 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 the site line, like the city line has grown, that's taken decades to do that. Yeah. So why can't we, I mean, I would love to see more green. I'm seeing some buildings now in different parts of the world that are integrating green levels yep. on high rise. For sure. Because they know that they need that green up there. Yep. Well, and it's a nice selling feature. It's a huge. So it's funny how it's, the green is a selling feature. It's a positive on all these things, but then nobody's actually implementing it. It's really difficult to do. Like you think about a tree that's growing up, you know, six stories in the air. Like how much soil volume is that going to need and how much weight is that? And then when that gets wet, you need to make sure that that substrate that that tree is growing in absorbs enough water to give that tree what it needs but not so much that it's going to stay saturated and be this extreme weight. And all of a sudden, all your engineering specs need to go way up because yeah. trees are really, really heavy. What happened to that park that was, it was planned, I guess, during Tories? Oh, yeah. The one downtown. It was supposed yeah. to be around the Roundhouse, right? Or yeah. um, an elevated park. I'm not sure what's happened to that, but Chicago did a really good job of that. It, it so we worked. know it's feasible. It totally worked. And I think yeah. Boston did a section of it as well, too, when they did their big dig. Yeah. So they were accommodating all modes of transportation, plus pedestrian and plus greenery, right? Yeah. And those elevated parks are a little bit easier because, too, you think about like getting somebody like Ivan up six stories, eight stories to do the proper trimming and maintenance of that tree. If there's any fertigation that's needed, all of a sudden you've got them up on ropes like a window washer and it adds a whole other level of complication versus like the elevated parks. Yeah, you can still go in with a truck, take care uh, of those trees. How important is the irrigation? I mean, you bring that up, which is really good, but I'm just assuming that if you start adding all these trees in an urban environment, you can't just rely on mother nature's weather. You gotta have a supplement, which creates another problem, I guess, cost-wise and infrastructure because you can only imagine what the city does when it hits certain lines. Yeah. If they hit a water line, they probably won't even think that they did something wrong. No, and I mean, often you can you can get away with just using a water truck um, because it's really during that establishment phase that you really need to add the extra water for these trees. How long is that phase? So three to five years. Okay. Yeah, and so if you are you know 
babying your baby trees and you have them planted in good soil with adequate soil volumes, after they're established, you shouldn't have that same issue. You also need to make sure that you pick the right tree for the right spot. And so it's making sure that you have a tree that's uh, resistant to drought, that's resistant to the salts that you're going to be spreading in that area, and maybe the excess heat that you'd expect sort of in that sort of streetscape. And something that's pretty resilient to, you know, getting nicked and punched and shouldered and <laughs> bothered by the children waiting at the bus stop, right? So. But I mean, like we talked about that as well as uh, I want you to, I'd love for you to share what Vineland, you guys do a world of things, right? We do. Uh, so if you want to just share to the listeners on, on the, sure. the gamut of you guys, what you guys take care of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we do a lot more than just urban trees. So Vineland, our, our mandate is to, um, work for Canadian Hort. So we do all of the research that's needed by Canadian horticulture in order to further the industry. And so whether that's, you know, floriculture growing in a greenhouse, like your poinsettias, or whether it's a hardy rose program um, by the CNLA in order to get roses that survive well in Canadian climates uh, to do well here. Uh, we also do work with uh, variety development and picking uh, and turning out new apples, uh, you know, and we've been doing that for decades. That's kind of a fun one, especially when you get to help taste those apples. <laughs> yep. But we also do work with vineyards, so figuring out new yeah, production practice. You guys are working on grapes and, yep. uh, yeah. And we got a lot of work going on in greenhouses to improve production practices. So there's a lot of efficiencies that we can see there, particularly as we see increases in um, using Ontario as a, as a bit of a specialty crop breadbasket. Um, where people want to grow their crops in Ontario because it's a great climate for it when you're worried about heat and fire and lack of water in places like California and Mexico. You could start producing your, your strawberries and your raspberries up where we are um, in a more controlled climate. And uh, so we do a lot of work figuring out the best substrates to grow those products in, figuring out the best, um, uh, like, new alternative like biostimulants and waste byproducts in order to fertilize these well uh, it's kind of fun projects but you guys are also to. diving into composting yep uh just soil like dealing with soil conditions and yeah. how to make soil smarter like things like that which yeah. is like these are all things that people don't really think about no and what i get really frustrated about is that when you get a subdivision being announced that you always get that billboard first thing they do is clear all the trees. Yep. And it, it, I think it almost should be like you announce a subdivision. There should be a way that they're building these homes around the trees. Yeah. I think you be very selective of what you remove and what you keep. Yeah. And you make everybody conscious at that point about the trees and keep those trees in there. Yeah. Having the neighborhood would benefit. Yeah. Having proper tree protection zones and actually abiding by them um, because that can make a huge difference. And all of a sudden that tree, that house that's next to that tree is going to be worth that much more. So you guys, and, and how do you, I guess, you're, are you funded by, or is there some sort of government funded? So we get, yeah, we get a fair bit of government funding. Um, my team in particular, because we do so much work that's really applied research directly for the industry, a lot of it's just industry funded. So we'll get a company call us up and say, hey, I've got a new product. It's a new mycorrhizae, you know, that I think is going to work really well for trees. Um, could you test it for me and tell me how well it works against the competition or against, you know, increased fertilization? Or I've got a new mulch or a new substrate that's going to reduce our reliance on peat 
can you test it in your soil lab to tell me how does your watering regime need to change if you're using this in your tree nursery? Um, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of really cool, interesting questions that can we get to figure out the answers to. Can you guys answer why? I love how construction social media loves to show the hundred year old tree grain compared to today's harvest yeah. for mm. our two by fours. Yeah. Why does the grain pattern today suck? Like it's just <laughs> so far apart. It's just harvested too quickly, right? Or is it just not grown properly? It could be a lot of things, okay. but often it's, it, I mean, it might be the, the type of tree that they're growing. Well, I guess we're talking spruce, Douglas, and poplar. Yeah. So I think a lot of that, Manny, would be the way they're planted. So old growth are trees that grew up in the shade. Yeah. So they, they were understory, so they grew a lot slower. Their annual rings are much smaller and tighter. They're dense. Mm-hmm. So if we take a tree and plant it in a forest, and it takes 50 years to get to the same size as a tree that we plant in full sun, that takes 20 years, and they're similar sizes, the annual rings on that 20-year tree are going to be yeah. much larger. Larger, It's not going to be as dense of a wood. So when they, when they clear an area, say in British Columbia, they plant all of these trees at the same time, they all grow at a relatively at the same rate, and they've all grown in full sun. So that's why you're getting that grain. They grow fast, yeah. full sun, and 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 the soil conditions there are great still. Is it worth staggering it, or is the? I guess you're going back to economics now. Selective, yeah. <laughs> selective forestry would be the best. But that's not happening in Canada. Clear cutting. So we have the there there. It's, it is happening. There is but a not lot enough of, of it, but not enough of it's it. It's difficult to make that make sense financially. Yes, yes. It's very time but consuming. But we've got so much land here, like second largest. We have so much land outside of the major, you know, yep. this Ontario belt or whatever. We have the space to do it so we can just grow these little backyard gardens, so yeah. to speak. But we're not doing it just because I guess there's not enough. People don't care about it, enough of it to do it. Well, it'd be, it would be awesome to in- increase our use of urban wood. That would be amazing. amazing. Like the big walnut that you have for your, your table that you yeah. were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. We try and utilize where, where we are, a lot of it, a lot of it, well, everywhere, a lot of it goes to waste. And that was one of the reasons we dove into the research on the mulch. So a lot of the companies that are removing trees the mulch is just going wherever nobody really knows anything about landfill? it landfill a lot it depends on the areas you're in mm-hmm. we were always able to find people to take it people love the 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 chips but chips and mulch are two very different things we reprocess our chips through a tub grinder to make it more fibrous and and smaller so it breaks down uh, finer but again, it's it's what species are beneficial for for what? You can't just just taking mulch and spreading it around is good, but it's better if you know exactly what's in that mulch. Yeah. Okay, we'll get back to the interview in a second, guys. But if you haven't already signed up for Phil, the marketplace is free and full of great listings. Find closer sites and make soil reg compliance easy. Phil's low tracking blows the competition away. It's a good looking and simple app. You get a real-time view of all your sites, hauls, and trucks right in your pocket. What if the other guy doesn't have fill? No problem. 
They can sign up and send or receive the first truck in five minutes. No sales calls or IT guys needed. You can also invite other companies to join your halls like engineers, landowners, or even municipalities. Tracking doesn't require drivers to do anything. And there's a 14-day free trial. I bet you can move a lot of dirt in 14 days. Sign up for free on the website at www.getfill.app. That's www.getfill.app. You can also search Phil in the App Store. Do you guys um, want to enlighten me a little bit on, I guess, pesticides? Like, are we, what kind of stuff is being used, I guess? And, and is it benefiting or harming? Or, like, I, I don't know that whole world. I have nothing yeah. about <clears> it. So I'm sure that you guys probably test a lot of that stuff to find out what that does to certain species, right? Yeah, actually, at Vineland, we don't do a lot of pesticide testing. But um, part of that is because it's not as much of an issue as it used to be. Okay, so they've actually yeah. been doing, okay. Um, because we have you know, the, the ban on using it just for, you know, aesthetic purposes. And so when there's a problem and you need to use those pesticides, fortunately, you have some of them. Um, and we see it with our urban trees where, you know, emerald ash borer, you want to slow uh, the death of those trees, you inject them with um, trees in or imidacloprid, and then you can prevent, you know, having to go through and cut every single one of your ash trees in your municipality down all at the same time. Um, we use similar products for uh, hemlock woolly adelgid, which is another pest in the landscape. And yeah, they'll remain in the tree for you know, two to three years. But then once you're chipping that, you're not going to see a lot of that in there. There are some products that they use in the States that are going to stick around a little bit longer. Um, I worry about the amount that you see in the leaves in that composted uh, leaf mulch uh, in the States, but it's not an issue that we have in Canada. So we don't allow it, but they do allow it. Yeah, right? they have other products and they use them a little bit more liberally. <laughs> I, I think the important thing to to recognize is that if they're used properly, they can be very beneficial. Exactly. Okay. They get taken advantage of. People don't use them properly, and that has created the ban that we have. There is a lot of products that we can't use in Ontario that we would really benefit from. Uh, one in particular is we're looking at oak wilt right now. And there is some research of a product that, that works fairly well, but we can't use it here. It's, it's actually not an Ontario ban, I think. I think it's a, or a, a, a federal, federal ban. Okay. And an instance like that where if it could save millions of oak trees, then we want to use it. Yeah. But we don't even have that option. So I don't think it's a matter of are pesticides good or not, is are pesticides being used properly or not? That's a really good point. I think, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, there was that one city, I don't know if it was Denmark or uh, the country, they started offering residents chickens. Did you guys hear about this? No. So they were like willing, would you be interested in taking on three chickens per household? And a, a number of them agreed to it. And what they saw was a huge reduction, talking about in tons of, gar of waste. Oh, interesting. Because all of their food scrapings and everything were given to the chickens in the backyard, and they would eat everything, so now you were not putting it into the landfill. Ah, oh, cool. So is, it, is there an argument here in Canada, because I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you, or I think I've mentioned it to other people that have been on the show, where if homeowners started creating their own little greenhouse in their backyard, is that a beneficial ask of us as Canadian citizens? Will that work to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, you always like to see all the waste streams recovered. Yeah. And our cities actually do a pretty good job of it. Like, you can talk to your municipality and you ask them, okay, what happens to all your chip wood? What happens to all your leaf and yard waste? What happens to your source-separated organics? And oftentimes, it's all being used quite well. They're figuring out a way to compost it, to reuse it, to often get it back into the citizens' homes um, to make their, their yards and their landscaping better. Um, yeah, there's always going to be... There's always going to be an interesting way of using those byproducts. I'd be a little concerned with so many chickens, you might have issues with rats. I was just going to say, I wonder, they must not have rats in that country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that would work in Alberta, but not anywhere else. I think, too, is anything done on a smaller scale would probably be more beneficial. So okay. what we do know is anytime you take something like growing vegetables or making a compost... The larger scale the project is, the less it's monitored, the less care that goes into it, the, the more it becomes um, just getting the product out there. I think of companies like Walkers, for instance. Okay. Walker Industries does an excellent job of, of separating stuff. But because it's such a large entity and, and so much volume of product that goes through there, are they losing sight of what's coming through? I don't know. When we're trying to raise beef, is it better to have little farms have five or six cows, or is it better to have a super farm? Yeah, I know what you're saying. You see, so my, my opinion would be, I think it would be great if people on a small scale did that and, and grow their own vegetables and 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 get rid of their own waste themselves i think it would be i mean like my, my thought process is come spring what do most canadians do come spring they start planting their basil their oregano yep. their thyme their rosemary they have their little gardens here <coughs> and there and then if you start getting to the european culture they start planting their tomatoes and their cucumbers and everything like that but here in canada we get shut down for six months of the year that we can't plant any of this stuff but if we had our own little i guess the size of a shed yeah. greenhouse version and we can continue growing those year round so then we could benefit from it that's where my thought process would yeah. be great to do that yeah to get everybody on board but you're right though you would have to maintain it now so as a family now it, you're it mowing does, the lawn in the winter kind of thing it does get nobody does likes get doing it in the summer too because oh. because of our short sunlight yeah you, you have to you have to provide lighting as now well. it's artificial yeah. lighting and now you start hydro and that old artificial heat artificial light so it, it does it does become difficult a, a lot of people are really good at it i've i've seen one person in particular they they dug a hole and they use the earth heat so they they built a little hoop house they, they still have to heat it and and put light in there but there's a lot of creative ideas out there but i think the more people do themselves the better it's Absolutely. a pet project yeah. of mine i definitely i want to figure it out i still want to figure out how to build a better shed in canada yeah. sure. instead of what we see at home depot or whatever <laughs> like i just i know there's better ways of doing everyone's always doing the interior really well yeah but you're st starting to see even at the recent building show there was a couple of live walls that were happening inside oh, cool. the homes right which i totally like and and i like how it's being brought to the mainstream now yeah. Right. Because I think at first a lot of people were nervous about having the live walls and with the irrigation and having the waterproof in. And yeah. I think if you start, I just, it's really simple. You just start the process of a shower. So you make that area like a waterproof shower. Then you start building your live wall from that mm. point. But that greenery in the house, like goes to your point, 
it's going to ha- add to your mental health as a homeowner inside the house, right? Yeah. During the winter Absolutely. months, especially, yep. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, maybe that's where you grow your vegetables, too. Yeah, instead inside of the greenhouse. The house. Yeah. yeah, make it some It'd space. It'd make right? it colorful. Yeah. I yeah. guess so. But it's important, too, to think, like, we need that mix of the big guys and the small guys to get yeah. a lot of this done. Because, honestly, we don't have enough capacity to take on all of the source-separated organics that a place like Walkers would take on. And I much prefer them figuring out a way to compost it than it going to the landfill. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, small scale is nice, too, if you can do it. Yeah, can we start, like, a soil police force? Oh, it would be wonderful. <laughs> I've I'm just often saying, thought I was like joking. I was I'm I was biting joking. my tongue. I was thinking no. there there should be regulation when they build these when they go and build these subdivisions that you can't take the the topsoil off and sell it. A dirt just, doctor or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like well, a, and there there are there are soil specifications that municipalities will have. No, but I think blind eyes are being attached to these situations where or they're they're not actually well researched. So they might have a soil specification, but it doesn't really make sense. And so they might say, okay, you have to strip off the soil. You're going to pile it, and then. After you, everything's built, you're going to put it back where it was before, not realizing that as soon as you pile this, the, the soil for even two, three months, you kill everything in it. Yeah. And so you need to breathe some life back into that soil. So even if it's the exact same soil and all you did was move it around a bit, there's going to be construction waste in that soil that you're burying with that. It. Yeah. And there's going to be... Yeah, not much or organic matter or organic activity actually occurring in that that piled uh, soil. So you got to breathe some life back into it. Every soil engineer I've ever met has always been very knowledgeable about trying to figure out the pressure and depending on different parts of the city. Yeah, but I'm sure that they know they can moonlight as police, well, soil police, right? Yeah, but their their motivation is a little bit different. They're it's looking for a specific proctor density to yeah. make sure that that soil has been properly compacted. Compacted, yeah, for the strength of the home. Yeah, And often it's overly compacted and in an area that's much too big. And so what would be amazing is if you, you know, you still went with your specs on your, your proctor density requirements around those buildings, but then you allowed for a lower proctor density for areas where you're expecting trees to go, or you don't need quite so high for sidewalks. Allow those tree roots to grow under sidewalks, perhaps with a nice structural soil. And so then all of a sudden you're expanding that uh, accessible soil for those trees. You're expanding that soil volume by reducing a lot of the compaction. Because some of that compaction is still even happening at parks where Mm -hmm. like, you're not going to be putting anything on that soil at the park. So why would you compact it? Is it because of the machinery that they're using to achieve the task? Uh, somewhat, but also it's just you would have the same sort of blanket soil specification no matter sort of what area you're yeah. working on, whether it's you know a spot right next to a parking lot or you know a, a really nice park. Burlington struggles with that. Well, there, every tradesperson or every GC that's built in the city, or I think most cities nowadays, it's like that magic number of 75 KPA, right? Yes. Like, and But I, every time I've been in the urban in Toronto, he's like, you got 100, you got 125, you got yeah. 150. And yes. I'm, just, I'm seeing how compacted that is. Yeah. And is this a stupid question? Can we build sidewalks differently? Yes. Yes. Because I, I don't like the way that they're built today where yeah. I, I watch them. I pay attention to how sidewalks are repaired or built brand new. And it's just like that scrape of the dirt, the gravel, and yeah. it's just constantly compacted. And then forms are put up and then concrete and that's it. How do we build a better sidewalk? 
Yeah. Well, a lot of places will use what's, and I mentioned to it, mentioned it earlier, a structural soil underneath a sidewalk. So you think about planting a tree in a boulevard and it's got maybe a little six foot strip to grow in, right? It's not enough. It's not enough. But if you were able to almost create like a gateway under that sidewalk to the neighbor's irrigated lawn, all of a sudden that tree has so much more access to soil volume. Instead of using the sidewalk like a wall, you have some structural soil that will hold up the sidewalk, but still allow the tree roots to go through. So that way they can expand and they can grow. And then you're not replacing that tree every five years. Did you know that it's actually a bylaw not to run your irrigation to the boulevard side? (sighs) They prevent you from doing that. But you're right because I've seen it. I've seen it like you're irrigating your lawn. Technically speaking, the first three or whatever to the the pipe, uh, your plumbing pipe key is not yours. It's the city's. It's part of the boulevard. But... That's saturated and it doesn't get past the sidewalk. And that's why I'm asking for sidewalks to be built better. Yeah. So you can let that water run off, get to the point. Me personally, I would still put irrigation on the side and someone wants to knock on the door, then deal with it at that point. Yeah. I don't care, but it makes you I don't have think the forestry pro- department's going to be knocking on your door. They're going to be like, hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you just saved that. us a whole lot of money. Because you go through these neighborhoods and you see these really beautiful trees that have been taken care of. You see these other ones that are just beaten up. And, yep. and I'd, I want to avoid all that because now you got. That's where the real money's being wasted, if you think about it. You're hiring people to come in to remove dead tree and then bring in a new young, and it doesn't survive. Nope. And then you plant it again. Yeah, you're planting it again. And they do and it again, again, and again. They do it again. Yeah. I, like, that's waste of money, I think, if you Such had more education to avoid that. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that's where we uh, like the approach of looking at the urban tree value chain. And so that's where... The nurseries, as much as it benefits them to sell more and more trees, they don't want to see this happening either, right? They are already at full capacity for their land to grow as many trees as possible. They want to know that the trees that they're selling to that contractor are actually going to grow and become a healthy part of that urban forest. They don't want the same guy coming back again and again and again to plant that same uh, tree. And so We have a Greening the Landscape Research Consortium where we have everybody along the urban tree value chain that's interested um, join our our little research group to talk about challenges like this where we see trees not surviving past those first two, three years. Um, And working with uh, like the folks all the way from the seed suppliers to the tree nurseries to the substrate suppliers for those trees, to the contractors, to the urban um, foresters, to the conservation authorities. We're all working together. So that way, if we have a problem like, oh, the trees keep dying on this boulevard, you get the weigh-in of all of these different parts of the urban tree value chain to say, oh, yeah, that'll work for us, or that won't work for us. Because maybe the problem is you're not getting good quality trees from the nursery. So if you can connect with with the tree nursery and say, well, actually... We need much smaller trees to plant in this urban landscape. But that's why they need to, and you got to excuse, they're doing some work outside of the, uh, the studio here, but hopefully it's not going to be disrupting us that much. Rules, compliance, regulations. These are super critical things. We use tools that require high safety standards. We have to meet compliance and regulations at all times, not just for governmental issues. But actually, if we don't, we're risking our own employees. Every tool requires a different kind of training and understanding of how to operate it safely. Every rule needs to be fully understood, who's qualified to do certain jobs, and who's not. All these are important things we managers must take care of to keep safety high at all times. Now, getting it done is way harder than talking about it. 
But luckily, there's a platform I found that can help out with everything I just mentioned. A great software called Connect Team, which has training and quizzes that you can build in any way you'd like to make sure your employees always know how to handle a certain tools. You can see who's done a certain course of quiz, who didn't complete it and can't work with a certain tool until they do. You also have the ability for an update if there's a new regulation you need everybody to be aware of ASAP. And also an easy overview screen to see who saw it. Plus, their schedule allows you to add limitations for certain jobs. So if one of your employees is not qualified to do a certain job, the system will automatically notify you about it. The platform offers a lot more, such as easy access to playbooks or hazard reports. Just check them out for yourself. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. Um, but it, are they assessing it? Like, are they actually taking the time to assess the reason why we're losing these trees? Some Is places they are, okay. but some places they aren't at all. And sometimes they're just, they're planted poorly. Uh, they're planted too deeply. What's the education that's attached to the person who's actually doing the planting? What are they being given, like information-wise? I don't know what they are. They given a pamphlet that you're on an airplane and this is the five steps <laughs> you need to take care of a plant tree. So I'll take this one because we do bid on some of these contracts. I was say this is an Ivan question. It's a good yeah. One. So unfortunately, a lot of the procurement process is just bottom line. The cheapest guy gets yep. a contract. <clears throat> I would say ninety-nine percent of the time, it's cheapest guy gets contract. And like I, like I spoke about in the last podcast is some of the people that are planting the trees are very educated, but unfortunately they're not the ones getting the contract. Nope. Mm. A lot of the people, not always, but a lot of the people that are getting the contract, just dig a hole, pop the tree in and walk away. And that's it. When we plant a tree, for instance, what we go by is a model of $5 tree, $10 hole. I like that. That's that's what we go by at Safe Tree. So that means we're putting twice as much effort into the hole as we are the tree. And you want to plant small. Everybody wants these big trees planted because instant gratification. Yeah. But they don't last. And then you're replanting it. So you're actually just having the same size tree forever because you're just you're just going in circles with the same process. If we spend more time on the hole, plant smaller trees, we'll have more success rate as long as conditions are okay. And you will have a mature tree and you'll be able to enjoy it sooner. Same mindset when it comes to shrubs? Treated the same way? Everyone's always looking for the bigger gallon pot of shrubbery. So they want that garden. Shrubs, it's less of an yeah. issue. It's more of an issue with Trees, trees yeah. yeah, where particularly like you get transplant shock when you're a tree. Yeah. You've been growing in this wonderful nursery where they've been taking care of you so Maybe. well. Yeah. yeah. And then you're, you're, you're brought into the urban landscape with your Christmas present, which is your, your ball and burlap there. And so it's got some really nice soil and you have decent roots, but it's only going to last you for a year or two. And so once you use up your Christmas present and you're planted in this like clay bathtub in the urban environment, all of a sudden you can't grow any further. It's not very nice for them. So if you're a smaller tree, all of a sudden you have that ability to uh, have less of a transplant shock. And you have, uh, if, especially if you're working with somebody like Ivan, where somebody has made sure that the soil is where you're spending your money as opposed to the size of the tree, then all of a sudden you have that ability to, 
to grow into that soil for years and years and years to come. So when you say a $10 soil, just better soil. $10 hole. $10 hole. Yeah, so we take the time to to dig the hole properly. You you can't just... How much larger should the hole be? uh, It depends on the size of the tree. If it's a small tree, we just dig a, a very small hole. Okay. The larger the tree, the more time we want to spend on the hole. You want to make sure... And the other thing is, it's not just the hole, Manny. It's the right tree for the location. Not any tree can just go in clay soil. No. Different trees like different conditions. We can't grow live oaks here. Live oak is my favorite tree. We can't grow live oaks here in Canada because they need the the warmer climate. We can't grow sugar maples in the south because they need the cold climate. People think that they can just take any tree and plant it. And this is this is where the municipalities make a big big mistake when they allow the homeowners to pick the trees. So you'll Don't get they a, give them an option like a, a yeah. So you'll get a list of yeah. trees and say pick one for in front of your house. Where those homeowners might only be there for five years, they're not thinking long term. Uh, a lot of people do do their research, but a lot of these trees just simply can't. And unless you're putting ginkgos everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these trees just can't survive where where they're putting them. Um, and and a, and a lot of the trees that they're putting on their lists are frankly shit. They shouldn't be there, but that goes uh, back to like a Norway maple shouldn't be on a municipal planting list anymore. Speaking, I know off mic, we, you brought up the good point. We wanted to find out who's what our favorite trees are. Yeah, each of us, right? <laughs> to share, right? So, who wants to begin? I think Rhoda's still thinking about what. No, her I, I, oh, did you come up with one? No, no, I've, Ivan's got to talk about his live oak. Uh, yeah, so my favorite tree is I, I wish I could remember the name of the church, but it's it's an old church in Lafayette, Louisiana. It's a live oak. It's, white church? Oh, no, no. Okay, never mind, sir. It, it's it's a grand church. This thing is, it, it's got to be 200 years old. Okay. And this live oak is about three times wider than it is tall. And it's surrounded. So one thing about the south is they love their trees. All these old live oaks, the, this one has a fence around it so nobody can get in there. There's a lot of bracing under it. The... If you're familiar with live oaks, they have these long, overreaching limbs. Yeah. And the weight of their leaves just, just drags them down. And many of them you see touching the ground and then coming back up. Well, this one's been supported. We actually did a project at Vineland Research Center on their uh, Caucasian wingnut. And it had a long, extending, overextending limb. And, and we braced it. And the idea I got from this tree in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. But, yeah, it's a live oak. It's it's beautiful. It's and yours, one. My favorite tree is actually a, a, a line of trees, and it's the spruces that were planted by some farmer probably a hundred years ago that were in my backyard up in Ancaster where I grew up. So I, I grew up in Ancaster when Ancaster still smelled like a stockyard, and uh, it, it was just a little sleepy farm town. You'd mm-hmm. see trucks go by with the yeah, livestock. And <clears throat> so there was the Marshall family farm in the neighborhood where I grew up, and somebody planted a row of spruces. And when I was uh, in my bedroom, I had a sort of a, a loft bed. I'd look out the window. And I would see these spruces waving in the wind, and I could hear them at night, and the, the sound of the wind. How many are we talking about? Oh, maybe like eight, ten. Yeah. I can still picture exactly the outline of their, their branches. Yeah. Beautiful trees. Mine's a dragon tree. Dragon tree? Yeah. Have you ever seen that? 
It's a Caribbean tree. It's a warm weather tree, but there's a lot of them in the Azores as well, too, right? Hmm. Dragon tree is, uh, I don't know what the the official, because when you first started bringing it up, uh, that's what a dragon tree looks like. Oh, I've oh, seen wow. that before. So cool. it has like a... Looks uh, like a mushroom. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's huge. And there's actually one on Pico that's right at the opening of their uh, wine museum. Cool. And so you, it's got to be, I think I asked them when I was there last, was like 250 years old. And the canopy itself has got to be about 50 feet across. It's huge, but you literally are standing right underneath it. And it's just like, this, yeah, it's like this big mushroom stuff, but it just keeps on extending itself over and over. And then there's a smaller one right next to it. Oh, that's wow. awesome. So I was always fascinated by that, this dragon tree, right? Cool. Well, it's neat because like everybody does have a favorite tree, yeah. uh, whether you actually like can think I have a favorite tree or not, but everybody's got a tree that was like, that's touched them, that's important for them. And so it's clear that people care about trees and they realize the importance. It's just, how do you, you often don't know what you're supposed to do, even though you want to do what's right by the trees. I find a lot of Torontorians have a favorite red leaf tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the red, like what's wrong with the green? I just don't get different shades of green. Yeah. But they have a particular fondness for red leaf trees. It's a Toronto thing, must be. It's not. It's not I, I don't think guys? it's a Toronto thing. I think it's everywhere. So, okay, it's, it, it's it everywhere. Yeah, it's very common for us to go to a customer's house and they say, "Well, my red maple, where it's a Norway maple, the the it's crimson king, crimson. king yeah. variety, yeah, yeah, and which are awful trees. <laughs> for what reason? Why are they awful trees? Many. There's just too many of them. Yeah, there's, well, there's, honestly, there's yeah. too many of them. If you look at the most common uh, tree. In an urban environment, oftentimes in this area, it will be a Norway maple. And it's just that they've taken over the woodlots. They like disturbed soils. And so when you have, um, like, excess worms, which sounds kind of funny, but when you have all of these disturbances in your soil, excess worms, excess deer, you're going to get a lot of Norway maples. And, yeah, you know what? I don't mind a Norway maple here or there. But the problem is, is that they were overplanted, and now they can make up, like, 25% of the canopy in some areas so yeah, we find we find a lot of structural issues with them as well <gasps> oh yes oh really yeah. oh, a yes. lot a lot they're they're probably top three of our most common removals really which brings me to i want to ask you guys what is the ideal tree to use in our environment here for front side and backyards of your home it depends on your conditions you go back to the soil conditions right soil conditions sunlight Wind loads. Where you're dumping your salt pile. Yeah, where your where your where your <laughs> salt water one, pool huh? is. Yeah. Where you're emptying. Oh your pool. yeah, where your pool we, is. Yeah. Yeah, we get a lot of customers who have pines in their backyard, and their pines are dying. And I go back there, and there's this beautiful saltwater pool, and they're dumping the the salt water in the fall time, right in the yeah, right in the pines. So it, it there's so many things to consider. Soil types. Uh, is it sandy? Um. For, for us in Niagara, we're, we're very fortunate, but even overhead, a lot of people don't look up when they plant hydro lines. There, there's so many things to consider. It's, it's all in the conditions and what you prefer. That's bottom line, basically. Yeah, it's bottom line. But at least do your homework and find out. Yeah. Do as much homework as you would your kitchen countertop. And then you take bet. that same amount of time and put it towards a tree. And then you can yeah. figure out what's best for you front, side, back. Call an arborist. It's as simple as that because they'll have the information, right? Absolutely. I find that most of you guys are not really um, 
you'll tell the truth. You're not really there to sell a particular tree or a particular product or a particular anything. If, if you speak to an arborist. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like you guys are salespeople. I'm not saying that you're, you're mm -hmm. not. I'm just saying that you guys don't push that agenda kind of thing, that this is what we should be putting into the home because I've got a great deal on these trees, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You guys don't come across that way. No. In all honesty, most arborists have a good nursery that they work with. When we seek out nurseries to work with, we look at their values, mm. that their values align with ours, and we're not just trying to pump out trees. We want to focus on native species, because first of all, your native species are going to do better in your area, regardless. And then from there, it's, it's really what you're going to be successful on. I don't want to come back and keep planting a tree. No. I want to plant that tree, and then I want to care for it for the next decade. And... The problem with some, a professional arborist is going to see the value in caring for your tree for a longer time rather than just cutting it down. Yeah. Contractors, it's time to empower your business with Shelta Tech implementation. Shelta is offering a free meeting to tackle your biggest pain points head on. Their goal, to develop a custom company app that's built just for you, solving your pain points, streamlining your processes, making your workday smoother. Here's the scoop. There's a $15,000 digital adoption grant available and Shelta is an expert at helping you secure it. This isn't just funding. It's your stepping stone into a new era of digital efficiency. By your second meeting, you'll get a tailor-made company playbook, a software prototype designed with your input, project tracking, real-time budget management, and daily logs all integrated into a single app. It's tech that works for you, not the other way around. Shelta isn't just offering tech. They're offering transformation. Join the community of 93 subcontractors who have already stepped up their game with Shelta Tech. Two meetings, countless opportunities. Ready to make a move? Visit Shelta.app. Let's pave the way to a smarter, tech-driven future. Shelta Technology, custom tech solutions for the modern contractor. So when, when we want to recommend a tree, we want to make sure that, one, the nursery's values align with us, but yours do too. And that, and that we are going to care for this tree for a long time. At Vineland, you guys, do you guys also dive into um, harvesting vegetables? We do. So my extent of that knowledge mm -hmm. would be where to clip the basil leaves. Sure. On a basil <laughs> plant. <laughs> Can you further expand my knowledge on that regarding harvesting vegetables? Like how do you handle this, right? Yeah. Well, each vegetable is going to be different. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's actually pretty cool. We um, we have a horticulture technology solutions group. So just like I'm plant responses and I get to do really cool stuff in the urban landscape. We have a group of like engineers who just get to figure out cool new ways of using robots in a greenhouse, uh, autonomous weeders, all of the, the AI help that you can get to improve efficiencies for your watering, your fertigation they get to do all the fun stuff with the fun toys. And one of the things that they develop was a robot for harvesting cucumbers. What's the robot's name? Oh, I don't know if they've, they've named it. <laughs> they must have named yeah, it. Yeah, they probably Every got a couple names. It gets a name. It's not a dash yes. or numbers or something. It's yep. a name. But when you ask the sector, like, what are your big challenges? Oftentimes it's labor, right? And so if you can figure out a way to reduce labor shortage issues by, you know, having one tech working a couple robots as opposed to 10 guys out harvesting, you can get a lot of savings that way. 
Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then you guys are also doing the research attached to, to cause an effect on what's happening to the plant, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun because uh, different from like a uh, university where you're doing a lot of research. So it's the same sort of grade of high quality research where, you know, the, a lot of our team is like PhDs and masters. These are really, really smart people. But all of our work is about finding applied solutions. Like, I don't want to do research that's going to sit on a shelf somewhere. I want to do research that I know, you know, some urban forester out there is going to be able to apply the learnings within a couple months or a couple years in order to make their city better. Is it worth homeowners to go to you guys and do soil testing? Like, they bought a new house and then take a sample? Absolutely. We, we offer that service. We're trying to push it a lot harder right now. 2024 for us is going to be a real hard push on plant health care and soils especially. And then we work with Vineland Research. So what we'll do is we'll go collect the data. We'll, we'll build a, a roadmap of, of your property with tree structure, vigor and vitality, your soil conditions to look at it as a whole and then we'll go to Vineland Research and say, tell us exactly what's in this soil, depending on, on the extent of how far somebody wants to go, how much money they want to spend. We can get a lot of information from Vineland on, on soil conditions. What are you guys finding in the soil? Oh, this is fun. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this is actually one of our, my, my favorite research trials. So as part of the consortium, we have a number of municipalities who all have the same sort of issue where they know that their soil is probably not great, but previously they only had access to identifying the amount of nutrients in the soil. And like right. a heavy clay soil, it's probably going to be able to hold on to its nutrients pretty well. And so you test it and you find out, oh, hey, it's, it's got decent nutrients. Tree's going to grow, right? But there's so many other aspects that are an important part of soil health. And so when we look at that soil, we're able to analyze it for bulk density, which is compaction, so how squished that soil is. Yep. We're able to look at respiration, organic matter, EC, or the amount of salts in that soil. And so we have this project with these municipalities where the, we initially asked them to give us like a, a planting site that was a big success, and we would test the soil there to see what a successful urban soil looks like. And we asked them for sites that where they had really poor outcomes with their tree plantings. And then we were going to compare those to show, you know, what a poor quality soil looks like compared to a high quality soil. But as soon as the municipality realized how beneficial the information was that we could give them when we were testing their poor quality soil, they only send us poor quality sites. <laughs> because we will take a look at the soil and then we'll say, okay, well, this is your issue, this is your issue, this is your issue. And this is how you deal with it. Here's your restoration plan. Here are the steps you need to take. And you know what? The trees that were planted here last time, wrong kind. Plant this type of tree for this type of pH soil. Or plant this type of tree because this is a really droughty soil. Or really waterlogged soil. And so because we can give them the recipe for success, you know, that's an easy win for them. Because now they're going to plant that site one more time and then they can walk away and they don't have to worry about planting it again and again and again. I'm assuming that rain barrels are a lot better than using municipal water. I don't know if the research is, is out there. I think I water is better than no water. I don't yeah. really care where it comes from. Yeah, my, my concern about municipal water, and, and, and I don't know, 
this okay. is just my assumption is what are they treating it with and and is that it's not that is that stuff bad for the plants is it is it removing the stuff that's good for the plants so one thing that we do know as humans is for gut health one of the worst things that we're doing for for our gut is hand sanitizer yeah because it's killing 99 percent of the bacteria you grab an apple you eat that it's killing the bacteria in your stomach is what they're treating the water with removing some of the stuff that's really good for for what the trees need that's what i was thinking that rain barrels i mean but not too many people have been i didn't see a surge in rain barrel kind of consumption like people buying them and setting them up i guess it's it goes back to it's an eyesore takes up space in my yard do i want to really have to have this going and then always using it and then for my for my plants and my trees and everything it's a handy thing to yeah. have I'm, I mean, I'm for reducing for your water usage yeah. but yeah. i mean we pay next to nothing for our water in in ontario right so my concern is how the water is treated oh yeah. that's my concern yeah right? so there's nothing treated on the rain barrel water it's coming from your roof yeah. and that's about yeah. it right now I, again i i think no i i don't know a whole lot about water but this summer we were at algonquin park and i was reading an article in something that they had about the acidity in rainwater and how it's getting worse and worse and worse and what the article said was there's there's similar places to Algonquin in, I believe, Norway or, or Sweden, the Scandinavia, uh, Scandinavian countries, and their water has become so acidic that it can't hold wildlife. So you've got these really? beautiful parks like Algonquin, but no no wildlife in the water, and Algonquin <laughs> is actually very concerned about this happening here with with just the the acidity in the in the rainwater well, we so used to have that um in the basically the the leeway from uh the pulp and paper mills up in Sudbury right right you have all of those gorgeous looking lakes it's because there's no life in them they're yeah. crystal clear yeah. and I mean a lot of that's now finally getting restored but that's what existed there for decades yeah yeah, yeah so I don't know I'm, ju uh, I'm just curious about it. I'm just bringing up the questions, but I'd, I'd love for you guys to also share some gardening tips if you guys have what you guys want to share regarding gardening when we get back into the garden in the spring. Are gardening? You a gardener? I hate gardening. You I do. Like, I like I like the idea of having a garden more than I like having a garden. We we tried it. We've got we got some acreage. At Why our do you house hate it? Like it's just a lot of work. Yeah, and like weeding. I I can't mm. stand weeding. I I don't even like mowing my grass. It's um, and then you get the the rabbits, the bugs, and the rabbits, and my dogs laying there, and then the chickens were eating it, and this uh, just uh, you you need to come over and, and see my garden. See, I like I, I like visiting other people's gardens. I got a low maintenance garden. You have a low okay. What kind of a garden do you have? So I have uh, like a raised bed, and it's in my front lawn, so I can't mm. mess it up. Right, everybody walks past my house on the way to school. Everybody sees do they my compliment garden. It? Uh, often they do, and often the best compliment is like that little kindergarten kid toddling along on the sidewalk, sees like delicious cherry tomato and just walks up and eats it. Like no better compliment. Like yeah. honestly, I'm introducing some kid to vegetables. It's the best you thing You don't ever. come running out with a broom? Just get away no, from the garden? No, no, no. I actually, uh, <laughs> one year I had it where I went out into my front yard and I just see one of my neighbors like 
bums just sticking right out. I mean, they were wearing <laughs> jeans, obviously, but like I couldn't see the rest of their body because no, they were so in there good. digging awesome. out the tomatoes because I had an excessive load of tomatoes that year. So I said to the neighbors, if you're making salsa or whatever, please help yourself. And, you know, you can always give me a little when you're done, but come and take all the tomatoes because I had an excessive amount. Yeah. Just leave a sign there. Take as much as you want. Take as much as you want. Leave bring as me much salsa. as you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then bring me the salsa. Yeah, we where we live, it, it's a lot of work. We're very heavy clay soil. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a lot of work. I've put all my time, actually, into a pond. Ooh. So, yeah. I spent three years digging a pond. We got How a l- big is it? It's probably about now, the two combined is probably about an acre worth of water. And we've created an amazing ecosystem. We had this summer, we had the bald eagle. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me about that. Yep. Stopped by our house. And then we had a kingfisher uh, that was there cool. regularly. And I live in a hayfield. It's There was nothing there before. So that's that's kind of... And, and we've stopped and we eat the fish out of it. So you just park a garden next to that or something. Bill, get some tips from Rhoda. And, no, it's too much work. <laughs> or I'll go to Rhoda's house and... and <laughs> just steal the tomatoes. tomatoes. <laughs> All good. Uh, you, you also have a partnership going on with sustainable Canadian ag- agriculture that you guys are doing. At yep. Yeah. What's that all about? Oh, well, we do a lot with, um, specialty ag. And so whether it's, you know, figuring out new ways of growing long cane raspberries in Ontario environments, cause a lot of that research is done. Like it's all done in the Netherlands, right? And the mm. Netherlands has similar climate, but it's not the same. They have different pests. They have different diseases, particularly like different f- fungus, fungal diseases. And so a lot of the work that we do is taking some of the technology that's been developed in other places and making sure it actually works for Canadians. Um, Yeah, you'd be surprised how little research is actually done in terms of sustainable ag. Um, Seems like you guys are the only people that are... I've always said this, why can't we just learn from other countries that are doing it well, bring it here? Yep. But a lot of places, like, yeah, it works really well for them, but it might not work for us. So that's well, why we need to validate yeah. it here. Even though they're yeah. colder, cl- they have four seasons, they do it. But the, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But you can still take some of that research back here. Certainly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some help us here, right? It just yeah. doesn't seem like we're doing as much as we should be doing it here. No. Well, it's like, it's such a long process and it's multi-layered because often, you know, there are varieties that are going to work really well here. Like we have different cold tolerance needs. And then if we can all of a sudden bring those plants inside, then those cold tolerance needs change, but you still have light tolerance needs. And so there's a lot of, a lot of nuances, a lot of work that needs to go into not just your production practices, but all those other things that surround, um, the development of those crops. So I know you hinted at the apples earlier. Mm-hmm. What exactly are you guys doing with the apples and the pears? So me? we have uh, extensive variety development trials. And so this is where we have orchards with, you know, all of these different varieties all grown. Uh, you know, you'll have three trees of this kind, three trees of that kind, which is awesome when it's harvesting day because you go and walk through the orchard and you, you take a bite out of an apple Oh, I like this one. And then you can pick all the uh, fruit off of that. Um, sorry, that's just a staff perk, but <laughs> not everybody <laughs> can do that. Taste-wise, what are we talking about here? What, uh, it just 
it tastes like what differently or? Yeah, yeah. And so um, we have an entire consumer insights team and they, they do this for lots of folks, whether it's, you know, picking out the, the next new flavor of chip or the best uh, type of cannabis or, yeah, or, or flavors for apples. And so they'll have a team that actually are professional tasters and they will identify what the flavor profile is and uh, whether that aligns with what um, the sector wants, what the sector needs. Because you want not just a tasty apple, but an apple that's going to do well, being stored long, travels well, looks good, all of those different aspects. And is you know, disease resistant, can be grown well, grows fast. You ever get somebody like play jokes and just go, this, this one tastes like chicken? No, nobody, <laughs> I'm sure that happens. Serious, uh, <laughs> they take their jobs very seriously. What's your favorite <laughs> apple that you tried that you guys have tested? Attention contractors, welcome to the future of construction resource management with our platform, where you can easily buy, sell, or rent tools, equipment, and materials with fellow contractors. Say goodbye to wasted time and resources. Need that specialized equipment for a specific project or want to earn extra income from your underused resources? This platform has you covered. With its user-friendly interface and a vast network of trusted contractors, you'll find what you need or make your resources work for you seamlessly. Join the construction community that's changing the game. Visit them online at altlaborsolutions.com and start optimizing your resources today. Alt Labor Solutions, where contractors connect and resources thrive. Well, a lot of them don't have names, right? It's just like cross X, Y, Z, right? okay. Yeah, these are all pre-commercial varieties. Same Same with pairs. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, we have the happy pair, which is... Our, you know, that's an absolutely delicious pair, um, but not all of them have names like Is that the happy the one pair. That's does. mixed with cannabis. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other specialty really market. Happy pair. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nice. Um, what's the 49th parallel collection thing that you guys are doing? So that's with our roses, and that's where we are creating uh, a whole uh line of roses that are best situated for Ontario environment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you can get a really nice rose that grows great in Pennsylvania or Washington, DC. Canada is a different but it's a different ballgame here. And so if you want to get that, you know, the right amount of like yellow color or some of them are, are amazing pinks that last for a really long time, then you need to develop a whole variety that works well for um, Canadian environment. Some secrets to share? I have no secrets to share. Exactly. I don't know. I don't work enough on that project. On that side of the thing? Because I'm yeah. just curious because everyone always tries to do a rose bush of some sort. It's even yeah. on the other side of the highway, isn't it? Uh, some of them are. We have yeah. a little rose garden right by the Caucasian wingnut tree. I'll show it to you next yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did we talk about RootSmart? We talked a little bit about RootSmart, <gasps> right? Uh, no? Well, we talked a little bit about the importance of tree nurseries having good stock and one of the key features that goes into having good stock to plant in the urban environment is making sure that that root system is healthy. Um, Ivan mentioned last time how some folks will dig a planting pit with an auger and there's all smooth edges. And so the roots will circle around and you need to notch it in order to prevent the roots from actually girdling the tree eventually. And so another aspect of that is making sure that you're growing your trees, your little tiny baby trees in trays that will prevent that root circling. You want to make sure they have lots of air exposure, that you get a nice radial development. 
And so we have uh, developed the RootSmart tray that AMA Hort um, sells. And uh, it's a fantastic way to make sure that your trees get the best jump start on life because it's got this, yeah, amazing radial development where you uh, aren't going to be concerned that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, your tree is going to have those circling roots. I, love I wish that. I had we'll some pictures for you. We, we've, we'll pull trees out when we plant them Uh-oh. out of the pot. And you can't even tell the, the roots anymore. It looks like. Oh, yeah. I've seen that, I've seen that before. It, it's almost the roots have almost made it like a smooth board. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All the way around. Yeah. And some of that you can, you can you know, root prune properly. Yeah. But when it's to that extent. Oh, goodness. Good luck, tree. Mm-hmm. Well, it's smart that you guys have shared get a younger tree and a, make a better hole, right? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of spending more money on a larger tree. Yeah. Don't have but to. everybody wants an instant forest. Five years, you'll have a pretty healthy tree if yeah. you plant it correctly. Certainly. Yep. You'll, you'll actually, we found when we plant smaller, people will enjoy a larger tree sooner. Because yeah. when they plant a larger tree, it takes longer to get that tree going and if it survives and and having it grow properly where you plant a smaller tree smarter cheaper it's it, it passes the the bigger tree that's planted do you guys do research on helping damaged trees or there, is that a thing or are we past the point where a tree once it starts showing certain signs that 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 tree's inevitable it's gonna just well, it's important to know kind of what we're talking about w- with damage, like mechanical damage. I don't. Yeah. Well, I know that you can save a tree if the if the bark, is, like the trunk, has been hit or something like that with a yeah. A job Most site. of the time, it saves itself. So yeah. trees, trees itself. are really cool. They do a really good job of compartmentalizing, closing <laughs> off their wounds, and and slowing the decay process. But when it comes to damaged trees, there's there's so many different ways a tree can be damaged, whether it's insects, disease, f- fungus, mechanical. A lot of it can be caught soon enough if you if you're monitoring monitoring your trees. If it's a disease or a pest like the emerald ash borer, mm-hmm. there's no stopping it. You know, tree is in. We've used and with some success, but I don't have a lot of confidence in the long term of the long term treatment of of products like that. You can inject a tree for a good, you know, probably ten, maybe to twenty years. I did a research trial in with the city of Toronto where we looked at trees that were injected um, with the trees and and found that. You know, even if they were injected like seven times, these trees are still doing really well, especially if they're being cared for otherwise. But you can't do that forever. And so at a certain point, you have to bring in like a biocontrol agent or you have to phase out the use of that tree and plant a nice new variety of different species. Outside of the pears and apples, you guys also deal with grapes, right? We certainly do. Now, do you guys get into the world, since this is Canada, dealing with ice wine grapes? Yeah. Um, it's a different grape, right? Yeah. We do, we do table grapes. We do all different varieties of wine grapes, including ice wine. Um, and with grapes, there's so many different challenges there. Like, uh, as the climate changes, we have impacts on those grapes that we weren't expecting before. 
Um, and, you know, we're looking at novel ways of treating the soil and improving the soil in order to make sure that, yeah, you're still getting high quality grapes and maybe you can reduce some of your inputs. Grapes, grapes like crummy soil. Like they don't they like, do? yeah, they don't like a really, really rich soil. Um, and so some of it is stressing them out. Um, that brings up the sugars, yeah. brings up the bricks. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting um, crop to deal with. So there's been a lot of talk going around right now about what's threatening our, our vineyards right now. Yeah, there is um, some sort of disease, and they don't know exactly what it is, that's um, preventing the grapes from reaching the bricks that they need to get. Um, and so that's a measure of sugar content in the grapes, like in the berries. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You don't know what it is yet? No, no. And so mm. it's, um, yeah, it's a big concern because, yeah, you want to be able to have tasty, tasty wine. The yeah. price of wine in Ontario now, no? If we're not getting the crop that we... Yeah, well, it, like like Rhoda said, it'll, it'll affect the sugar content. So it's definitely going to affect the, the, t the taste and, and quality yeah. of it, for sure. You can see different... It, I like it because you look at different years of wine and you can tell the years where it's been really wet. So a really wet year, the wine won't have as much sugar. Yeah. You, you see a drought year, there's less wine, but a much higher sugar content. And then, and, and again, the, the wet years will be an abundance of wine and, and less sugar content. So it's, it's really, wines are very different from year to year. One of the uh, one of my favorite trials that we're doing right now with wine is that we're also doing this with um, apples and uh, peaches, so tender fruit, um, is looking at how production practices can impact uh, the amount of carbon stored in the soil. So often when we're looking at carbon budgets, we are looking at you know how much carbon is stored in the trunk of the tree or how much greenhouse gases is this farm producing. And one thing that we don't often look at is all of the carbon that can be stored in the soil. And that's just a natural process of the plants that we grow. And if you are promoting a healthy growth in a tree, you're gonna be able to promote that much more carbon being stored in the soil. We do it for urban forests too. We're doing a research trial with um, what are called mini forests where you plant you just a whole ton of trees in a very small like 10 by 10 um, square and you mulch it really nicely mm -hmm. so you get some good soil. How many trees are you fitting in that 10 by 10? Uh, probably even more than one per meter squared. I think it's somewhere between three and five. Okay. Yeah, it depends on you know the specific soil type and the expectations of that environment. But looking at how you can use urban forests similar to using orchards or vineyards as a way to at least somewhat store a little bit more carbon in the soil. It's certainly not going to be a huge game changer, but there's there's something that you can, little things that you can do in order to improve uh, carbon storage in the soil. Is every day pretty much different at Vineland? Like oh, yeah. When, when you walk in there, you just it's just literally R&D. Like you guys are just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. We get a huge variety of different research trials. Um, yeah, we're, there's always something fun and new around the corner. But obviously, you can hear it, my, my favorite trials are the urban forestry trials, uh, simply because there is so much that can be done there, and we are highly underusing our trees. Um, just in terms of like, I mean, we were talking about them earlier in terms of 
seeing them as part of public health. Yeah. But seeing them as an essential part of infrastructure. Um, and, and we, I don't think we even touched on the ability of like trees to store water in order to reduce like, the oh, impacts man. on storm no, water. You, you mentioned it briefly around yeah. the gardener when we were talking about Oh, yeah, that, but yeah. I, I mean, who, who do I... Um, who can I contact at the government to yell at? Like, who can I <laughs> speak to? <laughs> who's, who's actually the government tree person there? I don't know. Well, exactly. Yeah. They're, so NRCAN has some authority over um, urban forests. Okay. But it's not like other countries where you have basically like an urban forestry czar. We don't have someone who requires all of this to occur in urban forests. So the there is a lack Canada of... Canada and we don't have more, a yeah, person. Yeah. Yeah. We, there's not one government agency that's required for this everybody gets a little piece of the pie and that is it seems um, a little bit of a misstep yeah i mean <laughs> if they worked better together um perhaps that would change and, or perhaps if if we were able to make um arborists or regulated trade why can't we make that we should make that that's just a that is a long conversation for another that, day. That's a very long conversation. <laughs> you know, there's there's actually nobody we can we can talk to right now. That's unfortunate. Yeah, the College of Trades when it was dismantled, and there's there's nobody we can bring our case to to get our trade regulated right now. That that position just doesn't exist at the moment. Can you do it internally and just? Well, we have the ISA, the International Society of Arboriculture. Okay. And, and it's a great uh, entity, but there's a lot of gaps there as well. Yeah. There's a lot of gaps there. Yeah. So I'm actually on the, the board of the ISA Ontario. So that's International Society for Arboriculture Ontario. Um, and that's one of our committees. It's just really looking into whether we can be a, a red seal trade or whether there is another way of regulating the industry better. Um, so that way certified arborists get the, the higher profile that they need because, yeah. yeah, these are the guys who are trained the best or guys and the gals, and they should be, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm on that committee yeah. with Steve. And, and it's just, it, it, we can come up with all of the ideas we want if we have nobody to present our case to. It just, it just falls the, flat. Yeah. The... The Ministry of Colleges and Trades, right now, I, I'm not even sure the, the name is right because the name's changed a couple times. Colleges and Institutes or something. I don't know. Ministry of Universities, Colleges okay. and Trades. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. What <laughs> I'm not sure. But sure. when it when it kind of all fell off the last couple of years, it's, it's there, there's, there's just nobody to talk to. There's nobody to talk to for our case. And because of that, it's making it very hard. So right now, the answer is, who knows? Here's who a knows funny point to present to you guys. Whenever you see a media soundbite about a new kind of idea that's being presented in an urban environment, what's the first thing you notice in the sketchup of any kind of plant pr proposal? It's always these beautiful, mature trees sure. and everything. But when they actually build it, those trees are not there. No. So why can't we just, if you Photoshopped and you sketched it up, you build it and it should look like that. The building's looking like that, but the landscape's not looking like that. Mm -hmm. No, and part of that is you're not seeing what's going on below ground. So if they show not just the sketch of the above ground, but they show the below ground. They should. That's when, you, that's when the rubber meets the road and you have to plan for that soil volume for those trees. 
we got to wrap it up. I think we talked a lot. I don't know if we if you want to mention anything else or but we we kind of just scratched the surface, I guess, but we discussed Yeah, I mean, we we could go for for days. I could talk yeah. about trees. <laughs> we can get you back in the spring and we can forever. do some more and get everybody going on more gardening ideas or tree planting ideas and all kinds of stuff we can do that i want to do the 12 questions with you rhoda oh the 12 questions yeah yeah uh-oh there's no right or wrong <laughs> they're just fun questions uh-oh. um uh, before that sorry uh triple w vinelandresearch.com at vineland research on ig and the email is info at vineland research.com and then ivan again with safe tree it's safe tree.ca and then ig it's safe tree ltd and then the email is info at safe tree ltd or at safe tree.ca uh, info at safetree.ca. .ca, there it is. Uh, what is your favorite construction word, Rona? Timber. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. What is your least favorite tool? Oh, screwdriver. Why has the screwdriver been coming up on the last few shows? Oh, really? Yeah, well, lots of a tape measure because uh, like, every time I try and hook it on something, I'd just drives me crazy. Don't buy the one with the big hook on it because it's going to get hooked on everything. It's the worst thing ever. I think blisters when I think screwdriver. Like, why am I not using a drill? Uh, what's your favorite? Or, uh, yeah, what construction sound do you love? Uh, I like the sound of uh, the wood being cut, the two by fours. Just like with saw? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I know that then shortly after, I'm going to get that. Sawdust. Amazing waft, the smell. Summer, cedar. Oh, love that. Uh, what's your favorite beverage? Um, coffee, always. Uh, what turns you on and off in construction? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one because I don't do a lot of construction. Well, okay, so let me rephrase Ooh, it. What I turns know. you on and off in forestry? Seeing someone putting out a proper tree protection zone and adhering to it, Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. In all fairness, <laughs> I'm the same way, but there are a few times we got to just move it a little bit to do what we got to do. Yeah. But I'm always standing there and protecting it, and then it goes right back to where it's supposed to go. You put a piece of plywood down. Yes. You put some mulch down yes. while you're doing your work. Uh, yeah. Turns you off? Uh, a tree protection zone that is not being... <laughs> I collect pictures. Tape that's just like run. <laughs> no, I collect pictures. I have one of like this massive pile of dirt that almost made like a tree volcano no, all the way really? six feet in the air. It yeah. was in front of an old church in my neighborhood. Just, oh, cringy. There's a place in Fenwick. Mm-hmm. I drive by it all the time. It's right by our shop on Canberra Road. Massive walnut trees. I'm talking like... Oh through and they built this mansion right beside them and they put all of the dirt against the trunks no tree protection at all no no tree protection at all now they pulled it back away but they've got it about four feet up the trunks oh my goodness and i stopped at the house and i told them i said you want these to survive (laughs) yeah and uh they didn't believe me oh wow we didn't even talk about great changes yeah man Because that happens all the time. All the time. time. By people who don't understand the principles behind it. Yep. Mm. Yep. So just as much as a tree protection zone is important, if you change the grade, all of a sudden everything changes. They know how to boogie in a skid steer. They know how to operate that thing. They just don't understand the grade. Yeah. What's your favorite curse word? Oh. You don't swear if you don't swear. I no, I have tiny children, so I have to say like "heavens to Betsy" or something like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I like yeah. that one. What's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Uh, my Volkswagen Diesel TDI. Nice. Yeah. 
Uh, what do you miss from your childhood? Oh, uh, my dog. Mm, what kind of dog? <laughs> a golden retriever, of course, you know. Always happy. Yeah. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? I would love to be um, an arborist that gets to climb all the trees and, you know, does that. that yeah, I know. It does the trimming at the very top. Get the harness on. Yeah. Just get up there. No, I would love to do that. <laughs> now we've got a challenge. <laughs> okay. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, uh, I would never want to sit behind a desk and crunch numbers all day. Uh, last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Well done. Good. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks, you, Ivan. Thanks for bringing a friend. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I love these conversations. We'll continue. We'll continue having more of these conversations because I want our listeners to be better educated about looking at trees on the site a little, a lot differently. Yeah. I think it's very important detail on the construction site. So Awesome. Awesome. That's it. We're done. We're yeah. out of here. Thanks, Thanks man. Thank you.